everybody, and welcome to your Final Score Podcast, where you listen to the final word on any and all debate in sports today. With you, as always, is your boy Wyatt. I've missed you guys. This coronavirus pandemic's got everything all messed up, but uh, it's given me an opportunity to finally record a show. I know a lot of people have been asking for me to jump back on this and do it. Like, oh, when are you going to get back on the podcast? When are you get back on the podcast? Well, when I got time, and now I have time. I'm back home right now in, in Lakeland, Florida, living with my folks. Trying to ride out the storm with this coronavirus pandemic. I hope everyone's being safe. Everyone's social distancing. Everybody's staying home and and only going out for essential items. And most importantly, I hope everybody's keeping in contact. I know a lot of my friends, a lot of people I work with, have had Zoom meetings and have had had Zoom get-togethers and had game nights over over the computer and you know via FaceTime or whatever. It, it's been great. Um, and actually, I've I've been kind of impressed with how communication as a whole amongst people has has improved it seems like everyone at least most of my friends have have actually talked to each other more than they did uh before we were social distancing um which is great and that's one of the i guess one of the few side effects that's been positive of the coronavirus pandemic um that is that has hit us pretty pretty hard and I'm, i'm proud of everybody for being you know, being on top of their stuff and, and following the rules because that's the only way we're going to flatten this thing out and get back to normal because I need sports in my life, okay? we got to get sports back, man. I'm telling you. It's it's a shame because now I just got to listen to everybody talk about who's better, LeBron or Jordan, every day. And it's just, it's it's exhausting. And I won't do that to you guys today because I know you guys are already annoyed with me enough on my LeBron takes and my Michael Jordan takes, so I, I just won't do it. I'll spare you guys. But I'm happy to be back. Today I'm going to be talking some Miami Dolphins uh, because I am very, very excited. We are on the verge of possibly the most important NFL draft in Dolphins history, certainly in the last 15 to 20 year history. We have six picks in the first 70 picks available, and we have 14 total, which leads the NFL. And let me tell you, that is that is something because I think this is probably one of the better drafts we've seen in recent memories. There's a lot of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And there's a handful of quarterbacks that we could potentially take at number five. I'll tell you which one I think we should take and which one I think is the standout. And I'll tell you why I'm a little concerned about the rumors that we might get something other than the guy that I want. So we'll see. We're going to talk some Miami Dolphins football, but before we do that, um, I want to talk about what went down on Twitter today because I just woke up, you know, not thinking it was going to pop off, you know, not thinking I was going to start a fire on Twitter because I normally don't. I, 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 I mean, for those of you that follow me on Twitter, I, I usually just like things. Like if you go look at my liked page, you'll see a bunch of hilarious videos or highlight videos or memes or whatever. I'm just, I'm just a liker, dude. I'm out there retweeting and following the funny people because I'm not funny enough to be on Twitter making memes. So I I depend on everyone else to be funny and me to just enjoy it. But I, I saw a meme of Joe Burrow. Well, not a meme really, but just a post uh, from one of the Bleacher Report accounts. I'm not sure which one, but it was a Bleacher Report affiliate. It wasn't the official one. Um, and it had an image of Joe Burrow and a, a quote that he had recently just had an interview. I forget who he had an interview with. I think it was on Shaq's show. I think it was on Shaq's podcast. I could be wrong. But he basically was talking about the draft process and, and, and what he's going to be doing 
to get ready and, you know, who he thinks going to take him and all this stuff. And he said the words, you know, I, I want to go to a good team because he's only ever been a winner. And he's been a winner since he was five and he's never had a losing season. I'm not a loser. He was saying things like this. And, you know, well, first of all, I thought to myself, well, you're going to the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe. So get, get your mind right here because you're going to, you're, you might lose a lot in the next, you know, 12 months of your life. You, you might be losing quite a bit with the Cincinnati Bengals, especially in that division with Lamar Jackson, a Pittsburgh Steeler defense that was top five in the NFL, and the Cleveland Browns, who, though you guys like to hate on Baker Mayfield, um, is much improved from last year and should be better. Hopefully. We don't know. But basically, what I, and speaking of Baker Mayfield, this is where I went. I, I said, okay, because I remember to my, I remember around the time that Baker was going to be drafted and around this time last season, uh, Baker said, I'm a winner and I'm going to figure this out and we don't care what you guys think or what you guys say. We're just focused on winning. You know, he's just saying all these types of things. And, you know, he said similar things coming out of college, that he's a winner, he's won everywhere he's been, and he expects to win at the next level. And the narrative with Baker is that he's arrogant. So I, I simply said, because the, the quote on this tweet was, Joe Burrow says these things, and then the, the, the Bleacher Report said, I love this mentality, or this mentality, with a big exclamation point. And I said, okay, so when Joe Burrow says these things, it's a mentality, or it's a swagger, or a confidence. But when Baker says it, it's, it's arrogant, it's brash, it's cocky. Um, so I just I just simply tweeted. So when Baker says this, it means he's arrogant? Question mark. Because I was I was just genuinely I was just genuinely wondering what people would say, and because Baker Mayfield is such a polarizing individual in sports fans, a lot of people replied with, "Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Baker." You know, at least Joe Burrow backs it up. And and Baker, you know, to his credit. You know, or to to the credit to their argument, Baker, you know, Baker's done some questionable things, especially at the college level. He was a lot more, you know, demonstrative when he was with the Oklahoma Sooners. You know, obviously the the flag plant was not cool. A lot of people got all riled up about that. Uh, you know, him him grabbing his crotch after uh, he played Kansas because the guys disrespected him, didn't shake his hand, and you can see, you know, you can you know see what you want to see about it, and, and you can say what you want, but either way. We're either going to call both of them arrogant or we're going to call both of them confident. Which either way, I mean, it doesn't matter with me either way. I, I'm just wondering what the narrative is. Like, why is Joe Burrow seen as a confident kid, allowed to say whatever he wants, and then Baker has to has to walk on eggshells? I mean, I, I, just, I just don't understand it. So it just got me riled up. You know, I, I tweeted, I think I tweeted that at like, what, 11 a.m.? And now I have, I, I got to say it probably like, what, I'm going to see how many likes I got on this damn tweet. Let's see what I got here. Yeah, 45 likes and got to be at least 30 comments. I mean, that's the most I've had activity on my Twitter account in freaking forever. I guess that's what Baker Mayfield does for you. Talk about Baker Mayfield, good or bad, people just flock to it. That just goes, huh? this goes to show you how much people miss sports. They'll do anything just to talk about it. It's crazy. But anyways, enough on Joe Burrow and and Baker, because I really am not here to defend Baker or 
you know, fight for Joe Burrow or what. I'm not, I'm not here to do all that. I just that's just the thing that I did today that I thought was funny. I want to share with you guys. Please, um, please chime in on the comments below or tweet at me or whatever. You know what you guys think. I know there's a few people uh, that have talked to me about Joe Burrow and think he's going to be the truth. I'm not saying he's not, but I don't. I don't. I mean, I th- it's going to be a it's going to be a shock. It was a shock for Jameis Winston when he left the best team in the country at Florida State to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it's going to be a shock for Joe Burrow to leave the historically possibly greatest college football team ever to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I think it's it's going to be just as much of a shock when Baker Mayfield left maybe the best offensive coordinator in the college football game, Lincoln Riley, to play for the Cleveland Browns. I think that's that's a culture shock. I think they realize real quick that I can't win in spite of what team I have here. But like I said, they don't want to talk about that. Don't want to talk about those guys. Because I don't really care about them. Because they're not Dolphins. They're not going to be Dolphins, I don't think. So, who cares? I'm here to talk about the Miami Dolphins today. And uh, as a Dolphins fan, last year I was the most impressed with, with my team since 2008. Um, I think I've talked about this before on the show. My first real year of watching the Dolphins from start to finish, from the from the first preseason game to the last game of the season. I mean, I was a casual fan in like the third and fourth grade, you know. I'd, I'd watch games and my dad would watch it or whatever. Or I'd catch the score afterwards and then I would talk about it and, you know, just chat enough just to talk with my dad or kids at school or whatever. But actually sitting down and watching every game that I could watch the first season I did that was 2007. And for you football nerds out there, we'll know that that is the year that the Dolphins won one out of 16 games and nearly became the first team to go winless. The first 0-16 team. We nearly did it before the Lions did it the year after. And the Greg Camarillo touchdown that saved us against the Baltimore Ravens in overtime, I mean, it's great. It's probably a top five moment as a Dolphins fan ever for me personally. And the year after, <clears throat> we got a brand new head coach and Tony Sperano. We went out and we got Chad Pennington from the Jets after they moved on from him and took Brett Favre. And we had Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams back. And we went on this miracle season, albeit because Tom Brady blew out his ACL in New England. The Patriots still went 10-6, and six, but because we had an 11-5 and five year, we capitalized on a pretty weak schedule, and we set the NFL record for the, I think we had 13 turnovers, I believe it was, 13 or 12, the fewest turnovers in NFL history in the regular season. And we went on to just be, you know, we just, we just won on efficiency, and we, and we won on being smart and being safe and conservative, and we had a decent enough defense and good running game. That was the year that we unveiled the Wildcat. And we, and we made the playoffs. We won the AFC East for the first time, I think, in eight years. I think we hadn't won the division in, since 2000, I believe it was. I think that was the last time we had won it. It may have even been more than that. Um, maybe it was just the playoffs in 2000 that we made. I don't know if it was when we won the division, but it was the first time we had won the division in a long time, and it was the first time we made the playoffs since 2000, for sure. And that was the, the best team that I've had since I've been a Dolphins fan, was 2008. And then after that, you know, Pennington hurts his knee in the offseason, and Chad Henney became the quarterback, and we went and signed 
Mike Wallace and Brandon Marshall. We brought in a bunch. Ocho Cinco had a stint with the team for a while. Joe Philbin became the head coach. Adam Gase became the head coach. We traded away guys like Ajayi and Jarvis Landry, and um, we let Sue walk. I mean, we we just we had a lot of personalities and egos, and and the way we were building the team is we just it seemed like we would fill holes, and we would just try and make the most out of whatever situation we were in. And it just was not working. And every year you would think, oh, God, like this is going to be the year. Or every year, you know, you would think, oh, this team's going to be trash. And then we would we would be sitting at, you know, eight and six with two games left. If we win one of them, we go to the playoffs and then we don't do it. You know, we'd lose the last two games at home or we'd lose the last game at home. And we only needed to, you know, if we won, we were in. You know, just things like that. We'd fall apart in, in the big games that actually mattered. And, and it was so frustrating as a Dolphins fan. So that 2008 team is what stuck with me. If we could get back to playing that way, I would be happy. Because that team played for each other. They were physical. They had a good defense. They ran the football. And they had a quarterback that was efficient and a good leader. And their coach, Tony Sperano, I know he didn't last very long as a coach. I think he had four years with us. I love me some Tony Sperano. Tony Sperano was the freaking man. God rest his soul. Tony Sperano, he would do the, the patented fist bump in the air after a field goal, and he would get, he'd get freaking hyped. I mean, I loved it. It was the most energy I'd ever seen from a coach ever. And that's why I was so mad with the Philbin era and the Gase era because they just did – they never had the leadership qualities that I saw in other great coaches around the league. Philbin felt like a coordinator through and through a guy that did not have enough gusto to command the troops. You know what I'm saying? And Adam Gase, he had a little too much gusto, a little too much ego about him. He comes in here and he, he won a Super Bowl with Manning. And, you know, people think, oh, he he reinvented the wheel. He he, he got the, the most out of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's Peyton freaking Manning. Okay, he didn't need Adam Gase, his quarterback assistant, or whatever the hell he was, to figure him out. Okay, Peyton Manning just needed some time to learn the new receivers in the offense at Denver and then figure it, and then he's going to go win a Super Bowl, okay? He set records, for goodness sake. Peyton Manning. So Adam Gase came in with this big ego that I'm Adam Gase, and he starts slinging his you know, his manhood around, and he's and he's saying things, and he's, he's ostracizing players, he's outing guys, he's pointing fingers the whole time, a lot like what Patricia's been doing in Detroit. And that's what gave me so much concern in the beginning about Brian Flores. Are we going to get a guy that comes from New England that's going to try and do what Belichick does and, and create a culture that, out of scratch, you know, out of its environment, is he going to try and recreate it completely in a different place? Is it going to work? And by God, it freaking worked. I have, I have never been as proud of that 2008 team until last year. I mean, watching our team play for Brian Flores was awesome because these guys—I mean, these guys are practice squad dudes. These guys are dudes that should not be on a starting roster, period. And he's getting the most out of them. He—he went into Foxborough with an undermanned team and beat the Patriots in the last game of the season because his guys believed they could freaking do it. He holds everybody accountable. Guys want to play for him. Guys know that if they work their ass off, they're going to get an opportunity. It doesn't matter who we're paying. 
We're not going to de- we're not going to decide who pay who plays based on who gets paid or who's being paid. It's all about the team over the individual. Who gives the team the best chance to win? And that became abundantly clear when Minka Fitzpatrick, great player, mouthed off and said, "I'm not being used right." You know, I need to go to a team that's going to use me right. I'm wasting my career here in, in, in Miami. And Flores and Greer, to their credit, said, okay. We started this season saying it's about the team. And if you think you're going to go be a great player somewhere else, that's fine. You probably will be. So we'll trade you. and You'll go. You'll get the heck out of our locker room, the heck out of our, our culture, and go play somewhere else. And they did. They moved on from him. They got a first-round pick for him. And now we can draft, um, you know, I know I've seen a lot of projections of that 26th pick, Xavier McKinney, new safety from Alabama. That's fine. We'll take that. We'll get another another Alabama kid that can play. And then, and then the wheel just keeps spinning. Okay? So just, just the mindset of it's the team over anything. And Brian Flores is included. It's a standard. We're all going to uphold it. We're all going to play a certain type of football. And we're going to win. And by us winning in that last stretch. And when people forget, we won five of our last nine games. People were saying we're, we're tanking for Tua. They're throwing the season away. This should be a disgrace. This is embarrassing. They're trying to lose. Well, we could have won the last... We could we could have we thrown the last two games of the season and had the number three pick in the draft. Instead, we went to overtime with the Cincinnati Bengals. And we won. And we went to Foxborough. And we beat the Patriots. And knocked them out, you know, knocked them out of home field advantage. Or the first round bye. They had a home field advantage, but they, they lost their bye in the first round, which they so very much covet. And we're sitting here playing. Because and I and hats off to Brian Flores, hats off to Chris Greer for understanding that winning those games is more important than two drafts, two two spots higher on the draft. Because it meant that it's working. It's meant that the team is going in the right direction and they're winning the right way. And they're playing for their head coach. And honestly, are riding a lot of really big momentum right now heading into the NFL draft where I think Tua is, is the guy that you want. Before the season started... When we started losing, it was tank for Tua, tank for Tua. The whole the, everybody in the damn league that wasn't a Dolphins fan had tank for Tua. Ah, they were gonna tank and try to get this kid out of Alabama next quarterback. And, and you know it, it was cool. Whatever you can talk shit about us and say we're tanking, that's fine. But everyone was saying tank for Tua because everyone knew before the season started he was the number one quarterback prospect this season. And then Joe Burrow exploded at LSU, had an I mean an unbelievable season incredible season and Tua got hurt hurt his ankle um fix my mic here apologies hurt his ankle um came back on a bad leg played LSU and I believe lost by five his defense gave up 46 points Alabama's defense gave up 46 to LSU and then he scored 41. I think he threw like four touchdowns and almost 400 yards on a bad leg. To a, if everyone, I mean, let's just think about this. If Tua, if, if the health is not an issue, 
we would be saying he's the number one pick. And you guys are saying, okay, well, that's a big if. You know, health is a big deal, Why? Well, I, mean, I hear you. And I, and I, I agree with you. It, it is a, it's a big risk, especially because we, we can't see him. The Dolphins doctors can't bring him down to Miami and evaluate him. we got to take somebody else's word. we got to take his surgeon's word or whatever the case may be. I get it. But when you toss everything aside and just consider the talent... When Tua was at his at his best, when Tua was healthy at Alabama, he was the quarterback. He was the number one pick. And people are saying that after Joe Burrow had his big year, you could say arguably it's a toss-up, especially because he's an Ohio kid. Cincinnati has the number one pick. You know, it's, it's a business decision also to, to sign the hometown hero kind of guy. So maybe Burrow goes number one, even though... We all would know Tua is probably the, you know, maybe potentially a better quarterback, but but Burrow's good enough and close enough to him, and he's the hometown guy, so Cincinnati should take him, right? But they're saying if Tua was healthy, it would be at, it'd probably be 50-50. So if he's a 50-50 number one pick at five, if the Dolphins are at five and Tua's sitting there with number one pick potential, and you don't take him, and you take Justin Herbert instead, which I've heard a lot of things. People say, oh, they're going to take, they're going to take Herbert. They're going to take Herbert. That's a failure. Because Justin Herbert is not worth the fifth pick in this draft. If if, if you don't take Tua, that's fine. I, I, I get it. The health is a problem. That's fine. Do not take Herbert at five. Because... I guarantee you, we pass on Tua. Someone else is going to take him after us, which is going to push Herbert further down. You draft him later. You can draft Jordan Love later. But I'm not even going to start talking like that. Two is the guy. Two is the quarterback. You draft him at five, and you build around him. You sit him for a year. You let him recover. You let him learn the offense under Fitzpatrick. You build an offensive line. You put weapons around him, and then you insert him next year or midseason this year, depending on how it looks, and and you ride with Tua. Because he has the best upside of any quarterback in the draft. I know he's got injury problems. I know his hip injury is the same one Bo Jackson endured that ended his career. I get it. But Tua is the best quarterback in this class, talent-wise, period. I've seen what he's done in Alabama. I've seen him in the biggest games. He's Russell Wilson-esque. He's got an arm. He's deadly accurate. He's the quarterback. And for us to suggest that Herbert is a better pick is is blasphemous. Quoting my favorite, Stephen A. Smith, he's blasphemous. And the notion that, oh, you know, well, two is injury prone. Missed four games in college. Just a fun fact for everybody who's out there saying we should take Herbert because he's less of a risk. How many games Herbert missed in, in college? Five games. Missed five games. Two have missed four. I know Herbert played more years, and I think Herbert played all four years in college, but he missed five games, and two of missed four. Justin Herbert broke his collarbone his sophomore year. Justin Herbert got knocked out of a game this year with a concussion. Justin Herbert got knocked out of the Oregon State game this year after re-aggravating that same collarbone issue. Didn't break it again, but he re-aggravated it. That's a recurring injury. And Herbert's tape, from what I'm reading, not that impressive. Not as impressive as Tua's is. So, 
at number five, Tua is the pick. And the reason he's the pick, not just because he's the better quarterback, is because everyone's saying, okay, it's a, it's a risk to take him at five. It's a risk. Okay, fine. It's a risk for anyone else in the history of the NFL to take him at five. But the Miami Dolphins have three first-round picks, six picks in the top 70. It's not a risk for us. Because normally a team with a number five pick probably doesn't have another pick in the first round. So they're putting all their eggs in that basket. It's not a risk for us. We're going to take them. We're going to gamble. But we're still going to have two starters by the end of the first round. And we're going to roll with it. Like why is, like I saw a mock draft the other day that the Raiders, that two will drop down to 11 because of all the injury concern and then the Raiders are going to take him at 11. How is that less of a risk at 11 for the Oakland Raiders? Because if they draft two at 11, that's them trying to replace Derek Carr. So it's more of a risk to draft him in, in the hopes that he replaces Derek Carr instead of just getting Derek Carr, I don't know, an offensive lineman, or I don't know, a receiver to throw the ball to. That's more of a risk to take a, take a position of that you already have. Derek Carr's already the quarterback there, and I know that people aren't sold on there in Las Vegas, but I'm just saying, that's more of a risk, drafting a position that you already have a quarterback starting. And then, you know, I saw the, the crazy articles coming out about the New England Patriots. All oh, the Patriots could trade up and take two. It would be great if you could replace Tom Brady. How is that not a risk for the New England Patriots? How is it less risky for the Patriots to spend their only first-round pick in the draft this year and they'd have to trade up to get him likely they have to trade up to go get Tua how is that a risk the first first round pick that you have after Tom Brady leaves your organization after 20 years of being the greatest quarterback in the league that's a risk it ain't a risk for the it ain't a risk for the Miami Dolphins if you miss on Tua as the Patriots and he never plays it down in football and he never stays healthy that's a blown call. That's a blown selection. Do you think Belichick's going to put his eggs in that basket? Come on now. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've been I've listened to a lot of other Dolphins shows, um, a lot of other Dolphins talk shows on YouTube or on SoundCloud and stuff, and it's just fans are paralyzed by this injury problem, and I don't know why. The whole year was meant to get us in position to get a transcendent talent on our team. We've been talking about for years on the Dolphins, we were never bad enough to get a top five pick. We were always, you know, six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight, which got us in the, you know, the 15 to 20 mark on picks. So we could never get somebody that was a top talent. Well, now we've done it. We've done it and we have picks after that. In terms of draft capital, this is the best a team has had in a long time. We need to take advantage of it. We have the ability to miss on Tua. If we take him and he doesn't pan out and he gets hurt and it doesn't work out, that's fine. But you 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 owe it to yourself to take a chance on the best quarterback in the draft. Because if he hits you got a great quarterback on your roster. you got a guy you can build around for a long time. So, 
anyways, um, I'm excited for the draft. It's coming up soon. I think it's not next week, but the week after. I'm pumped. Um, and all things being equal, um, you know, I've said I don't like Herbert. I want to. I'd probably take Jordan Love over Justin Herbert if we didn't take Tua. But um, at the end of the day, Dolphins fan. So whoever we draft, they're our guy. I'm going to support this team. I believe in Coach Flores. I believe in what we're doing. And I think the Dolphins are in store for a heck of a run. I think people are going to be very... um, I think people are going to be very impressed with what we do next year. I think people are going to be surprised with the season that we have. I'm not going to sit here and say we're making the playoffs until I see what we draft. But, I mean, this team is... This team is is building the right way, and they're doing exactly what the Niners did a couple years ago, um, getting rid of guys and stripping it down to bare bones and rebuilding from scratch. And they have the, the perfect guy to lead the charge, and that's Brian Flores. And um, Brian Fitzpatrick, a great guy in the locker room to have at quarterback right now. If we draft a guy like Tua, he can learn from Fitzpatrick, learn how to be a professional. Um, and then defensively, you got guys like Christian Wilkins, Jerome Baker, Kyle Van Oy, guys that have always carried themselves very highly and guys who believe in the systems and will play hard for the coach and play hard for the team. And that's what we need. And that's something that I'm glad that Miami finally has. So anyways, I've been talking for too long. My, my voice, my voice is starting to go out. Um, but thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. Um, like I said, I'm going to try and do a show every week with the coronavirus thing going down. But, um, you know, I've said that before, so we'll see We'll see if I'm uh, if I'm honest about it. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. I missed you guys. Uh, put down in the comments below. There's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of stuff going on, so there's there's a lot of options to talk about. And there's a lot of things we could talk about on the show. So put down in the comments if you guys have topics you want discussed or if you guys want to join the show, if you guys want to call in, maybe we can Zoom in or maybe we can... You know, find a way to record you and we can post it together if you guys have any interest in things you guys want to talk about I'd love to have guests and um, help this show get back on its feet and get more consistent and, and post it like, like I used to so thank you guys so much and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon alright go Noles baby